This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. There are so many things in this film that are what I believe in, what I want to see in the world, whether it's representation, whether it's my culture, whether it's the films I loved as a kid that I never saw myself represented in. And I now get to have a little drop in the ocean of that, th those kind of movies in terms of The Waterman. So, you know, and I think that that's what filmmakers should and do do is bring themselves all of themselves to the project and speak from that truth i'm your host casey finey and this is creative conversation a fast company podcast David Oyelowo's pedigree of being a classically trained Shakespearean stage actor has pretty much translated into his career in film with dramatic roles in Selma, The Butler, Nightingale, and many others. So when he had the opportunity to make his directorial debut with the kid-friendly fantasy The Waterman, his fear was double-fold. One, stepping behind the camera of a major film for the first time, and two, doing a project no one expected from him as a quote-unquote serious actor. The Waterman follows Gunner, an 11-year-old boy who embarks on a journey to find the Waterman, a mythical figure said to possess the ability to heal. Even though the Waterman is believed to be nothing more than an urban legend, Gunner is desperate enough to seek him out to cure his mom who's dying of cancer. The Waterman is a clear nod to the fantasy films of the 80s like E.T. and The NeverEnding Stories and The Goonies, and that's exactly why David signed on to direct, but he wanted to make sure he had his own perspective. In our conversation, David explains how his extensive acting career was the best kind of film school and how he made his passion project personal. So, David, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. I always love to start from the beginning when I talk to my guests and ask them, you know, what pulled them into their specific craft. So for you, was there a specific moment that sparked your acting career that pulled you into acting? Where would you say this began for you? Yeah, there was a very, very specific moment. I uh, was desperately in love with my pastor's daughter. She, <laughs> she, she worked the overhead projector at our church. I was truly obsessed with her. One day, after a year of prayer, she came up to me at the end of the service and said, uh, do I want to go to the theater? I, of course, thought it was a date. But she took me to the National Theatre. Instead of going through the front, we went through the stage door and she had taken me to a youth theatre where they were low on boys and she basically wanted to ingratiate herself with the director. So she, she invited me to basically make up the numbers and I liked her so much that I kept going to this theatre group even though I didn't know what on earth it was or why these kids were so weird and flamboyant and gregarious but i sort of gained a love for it and that's where it began for me so it was uh it was for the love of a girl and it was completely by accident it, <laughs> you fell in love with acting through a scam that's a story <laughs> yes yes a scam so i mean what about it what about it connected with you really i mean like what what was that love like what was at the root of that early passion for theater and for acting well, you know, what I came to discover is that I'd always had a passion for storytelling, movies particularly. My mom always called me a TV addict. But, you know, coming from a Nigerian household, the arts and specifically acting, that, that was just not a path to a proper career, a means of sustaining a proper, your proper. life. 
Yeah, say it. <laughs> exactly. You have to be a lawyer, a doctor, and an engineer. You know? hey, hey. So, so, so I, I, my parents had literally marked out lawyer for me, and so you know, it, it was just, it was just not, not something I thought about until I sort of had this very direct relationship with it, fell in love with it connected it to something I had already loved anyway as an audience member and then sort of had this revelation wow maybe I can be a a part of it and then I sort of spent years trying to convince my parents of the of that fact as well oh man it's the immigrant tale I cannot tell you how many people I've talked to in my personal life on this podcast that have gone through that exact same thing like I just yeah. had I just talked to the author Amy Tan and she was the same thing Chinese Chinese parents and they were yeah. like you know you will be a doctor by day concert right. pianist on the weekend and she was like uh, <laughs> don't really know how I'm gonna do wow. that wow <laughs> so, that's intense I mean so there are some people who they take their raw talent and just go forth in the world. But you are a classically trained actor. You studied theater in school. Your career began with the Royal Shakespeare Company. I mean, it doesn't get more classical than that. And so when it comes to the creative field in general, what case would you make for having that foundation of training and schooling versus purely learning from practical experience? Well, I think if people are really honest with themselves, when you look at the most celebrated, most indisputably brilliant actors in the history of cinema, and you look at the foundation on which those careers were built, whether it's Meryl Streep or Daniel Day-Lewis or Denzel Washington or Robert De Niro, you know, you go on and on and on. Theater was part of the foundation. You just can't get away from it. And it's not that you can't be a great actor to be self-taught or to start on screen. It's just there is something you will never, ever lose from the experience of having to confront an audience every night. And they are literally every night telling you spiritually whether you are connecting with them or not. And by the time you get to a film set, which is such an artificial environment within which to tell the truth of humanity, the thing that really separates the good and the great is that you have had the experience with human beings of telling them a story that is connecting with them. And you know what that feels like in your body for years of performance, eight shows a week for years, especially in the formative years of being an actor. And so by the time you have the boom in your face, the light, the camera, the, the, the grip who's scratching his butt in your periphery, you know, you still know what it feels like to tell the truth under distracted circumstances, which is what it is like to be on a film set. And I think that's the difference theater makes. And so for you, I mean, you mentioned that your mom always called you, you know, TV, TV addict, TV junkie. Right. And so, I mean, yeah. it seems like, was that always your ambition to, to incorporate or transition into film and TV? Like, what was that transition like for you going from theater to film and TV? To be honest, as an actor, at the time I, I was graduating from the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts, which was in 1998, so that's ooh, 23 years ago now, you know, the tradition of going to a conservatory in the UK was very much, it's a theatre-based training, 
And you just felt so fortunate if you left drama school and you got to be a theater actor your entire life. Um, TV and film, which I think for, for the generation of actors graduating now is far more of an ambition. It was an ambition, but it was like, if that happens, great. If it doesn't, gosh, just to tell stories and to be able to scrape a living doing it. That's sort of the more the UK way, or certainly was when I was graduating. And so when I, my first big TV job was a show called, it was called Spooks in the UK. It's called MI5 here. And as a spy show, it was a big show in the UK, unexpectedly big hit, actually a global hit. And um, it sort of changed the trajectory of what I thought would be my career. And then, you know, a lot of great filmmakers saw that show and, and thankfully became aware of me and, and, and hired me for their films. And so you can't really map out where your career is going to go as an actor. Mine just happened to to go into TV and film after having quite a, solid three, four year theater start. And, you know, Spooks was what, early 2000s, I believe? Like Correct. 2000, yeah. Correct. And scrolling through your IMDb page, I mean, there's not a single gap in your resume. You were working in TV and film <laughs> a little bit here and there before Spooks, and then since then, it's been, I mean, you can't find, you can't find a gap year at all. Right. And so, I mean, like, when you look at the scope of your acting career and all these amazing roles that you've had, where do you see the growth in your craft? The biggest growth comes with the talent you are afforded to work with. You know, I have this rule of the three P's, the, the part, the people, and the project. And if you get two out of three, you're doing pretty well. But, you know, of those three, the part, the people, and the project, the people is the most important. You know, when I've had the huge blessing of working with filmmakers the likes of Ava DuVernay and Steven Spielberg and Chris Nolan and Anthony Minghella and Chris McQuarrie and you know just astounding filmmakers and you a bit like in the in the same way that theater what you gain from theater never leaves you what you gain from a director who is able to unlock things in you that you didn't know were there also never leaves you because both experiences make you fearless and they build your confidence. You know, working with Lee Daniels, that guy got things out of me in the Paperboy and the Butler that I didn't know were in there. Like what? Well, he is someone who doesn't rest and I'm a very polite, English guy and <laughs> you know in the butler I was playing a young man who goes from the age of 16 to being in his 60s and I start as a student I go on to be a Black Panther I go on to be a senator you know I, I, I go from a very young man to a very old man and you know that that's a lot of twists and turns and it's also charting 50 years of American history so from the 50s through to Obama's presidency in 2008. And that was a huge learning curve for me, culturally, historically, in terms of my acting ability. And A, he believed in me enough to give me the role. 
And then B, you know, he pushed me to tell the truth every single day and a truth that wasn't necessarily mine culturally. So that's incredibly challenging. And between the belief and the push, you know, that's something easily you could understand why he wouldn't either give me that opportunity or believe in me to deliver. And so that's what I mean by, you know, having those directors whose work you really admire, who see something in you that they feel is going to elevate their project and they trust you with that responsibility. You know, is there any specific facet of acting that you find particularly challenging? Not necessarily a role, but just when you think about the 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 work of an actor, the craft of an actor, the the responsibility to tell the truth is as you've been saying, is there any facet of that that you find particularly challenging to accomplish? Yeah, there, there are two. One is a bit more superficial and another is a, sort of a really deeply felt one. The more superficial one is I very rarely get to play roles with my own accent. It's a truly rare thing at this stage in my career. And it used to be easier when I was lesser known and I'd done less things like this, which is talking to someone like you with my accent, because people would just see me in movies and go, oh, he's American. Oh, he's South African. Oh, he's, he's Ugandan. Oh, he's, you know. But now, you know, if I'm going to turn up and say I'm playing a guy from New York, people are like, hmm. <laughs> you know, so that's, that's terrifying and is always on my mind when I play these kind of roles. But the other one is that you know, we are still in a moment where for me as a Black man, I know I don't have the luxury of just playing anything I want without it having ramifications. So being someone who is very aware of the cultural impact of movie making and representation, and certainly the more damaging representations of us we have seen in the past, I'm not going to play the Black best friend. You know, I'm not in a hurry to play a slave. I I don't want to play caricature, stereotypical, or any role that perpetuates a negative narrative that for some racist person somewhere means that they get some kind of validation of their perception of who we are as Black people that is erroneous. And on the one hand, that's a responsibility I'm proud to wear. On the other hand, it limits my scope as an actor because I'm not someone who can just any script that comes in, yeah, let's go do that. Representation doubly matters when it comes to someone like me who is in front of the camera and who is being afforded the kind of opportunities not everyone is being afforded. So that's something I hope will not be as much of an issue for my children or my children's children. But for now, you know, it's just it's just the way it is. How do you navigate the industry without that weighing you down? Because I know even in past interviews, you've said the burden of of having to talk about race with almost like every film, even when it just comes out of nowhere, which I, just for the record, I don't have any questions about race here because I get it. <laughs> like, but since we're kind of on the topic, I mean, does that like how do you how do you sort of navigate that space without it? leaving you jaded without it bogging you down with 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 going forward in your career because you've done such a great job of doing exactly what you said not not playing roles that you just for the sake of the check or whatever it might be like you you've been very deliberate with your roles and they've been all amazing roles so 
how do you just sort of keep going without that mentality kind of like weighing you down? You know, my faith is a, is a big, big part of my life. You know, I think an occupational hazard of being an actor is definitely self-obsession, you know, constantly looking inward and how are people thinking of me? And trust me, I'm susceptible to those, those things as well. But, you know, my, my faith as a Christian has been huge for me because I have a, a, a constant reminder of the blessings in my life, of what's truly important, and of the fact that, you know, not everything is in my control. And I can relegate that control to God. My family is huge for that. You know, I have four kids and uh, they keep it real with me all the time. Like almost as kids um, do. <laughs> as kids do. Uh, as, as does my wife as well, which is a, a beautiful thing. And the truth of the matter is it does occasionally weigh me down. It, it isn't something I'm impervious to, but... I could be someone who's not working. I could be someone who's, you know, was born in not this century, but two centuries ago, uh, you know, in relation to, to some of these issues we're talking about. I'm very aware that I am standing on the shoulders of people who endured far more than me. And, you know, it would be really self-indulgent for me to not shake off those those dark nights of the soul and get on with the work and try and leave the world different than I found it. We're gonna take a quick break. And when we're back, David dives into his pivot toward directing and he explains the valuable advice he received from Ava DuVernay. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. I want to talk about your your pivot into directing or feature film directing with The Waterman, which it uh, it's it's so funny because I wasn't even sure what I was expecting going into this film, but it is it's so good. It's like the story itself; it's very uh, almost like a throwback in a way, like to very like Steven Spielbergy, like kids on an adventure type of thing, which I loved. But I mean, how did that? Because even before The Waterman, I mean, like you directed a really great short film, I think in 2009, called mm. Big Guy. Mm. And with like Josh, which is crazy, because I encourage everyone to go watch it. I mean, it's like, it's star studded Josh Gad, Kate Mara, Alfred Molina, Clint, Clint Howard. Like, it's a great short film. So, <laughs> Thank you. I, before we, it's so good. So, before we get into like The Waterman, like, I mean, what was that initial spark that made you want to step behind the camera? Oh, man, directing is so it's such a big undertaking, you know, there's so many things have to work in order for you to make a bad film, let alone a good film. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> like so many things have to come together. And I think even making Big Guy back in the day was just my first attempt at just, let me just see what me plus the other side of the camera equals. Cause I always knew it was something I wanted to do and what it really taught me is, yes, it is something I want to do, but my goodness, it needs to be a story you're passionate about because you spend a lot of time with the film. It's, it's a, like I say, a huge undertaking. And film is forever. Like, it, you know, I've done films 15 years ago that people will still stop me in the street <laughs> and try and tell me about a film I was there for the shooting of. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like... like 
you know, there are very few facets of life that it, it really finds its way into people's hearts and minds in that way. And so if you're going to say something with film, you better say something. Do you know what I mean? So, so you know, that, that, um, that, that's... Uh, that's that's part of the responsibility. That's part of the joy. That's part of the blessing of getting to be a filmmaker. So, what did you want to say with the Waterman? A myriad of things, but you know, I so appreciate you recognizing the throwback quality of the Waterman because I'd loved those Spielberg oh, movies. The it's right there on the surface. I mean, like yeah. kids going on it like a slightly magical adventure. Like it's right there. It's so good. Yeah, and I loved those films growing up. And as a parent, I love watching movies with my kids. And there are less of those kind of films being made these days. Like I've literally had to go and show them. Neverending Story, E.T., Stand By Me, Gremlins, The Goonies, you know, uh, but but there are fewer of them to show them these days. And I, what I loved about them was the was the confluence of of reality and fantasy, which is so baked into what it is to be a kid. And the fantasy element is partly what gets eroded when you get older. But that imaginative side of ourselves is often what helps us cope with the tougher sides of life. Um, so that's something I wanted to see in a movie. I also am very aware of my fallibility as a, as a parent. And so to play Amos, who is uh, a father. He's who, trying. He's trying. He's trying. <laughs> he's trying. And he is failing, but it is through love. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's that thing, especially seen through the eyes of a Black family, to have love and dysfunction coexist without them having to be mutually exclusive is like, that's life. That's universal. That's every family, you know? Uh, and, and so that was something I really wanted to show. And I think the biggest theme in The Waterman is sacrificial love. I mean, for you, like what... Like, because obviously you talked about your short, but it's a completely different task taking on like a feature film. And you, yeah. you, you've you had, I would imagine, working with all these amazing directors in your acting career. I mean, that's a film school in itself. But Huge, what yeah. was that learning curve like for you, you know, filming this? Not only you were the director, but also, you know, you're starring in it as well. So what was that learning curve like for you, you know, directing this feature film, this really big project? It was a huge learning curve and you've hit on it already, which is that, you know, I had treated my career as an actor as my film school. And thankfully, I've been blessed to work with some of the best who've ever done it. I mean, I've literally worked with Spielberg, who was my big inspiration for The Waterman in a film we did, Lincoln. And it was funny. I was talking to Ava DuVernay about this. And, you know, of course, I was incredibly nervous about, you know, going into this task. And she said, David, the reality is with the career you've had, you've been on far more film sets and had far more film set experience than most world-class prolific directors. And she's right. You know, you talked about my resume earlier. I have been blessed to be a, a, a very working actor. And, you know, I probably do two to three projects a year. Um, my son, very... Um, proudly told me the other day that at this point in my career, I've done about 70 odd projects, which is mind blowing to me. Um, but, you know, that's that's probably about 70 odd film sets, TV sets that I've been on. And I've really had the opportunity not only to learn from great people, but not so great people. And, and sometimes you learn even more 
from those experiences. But, you know, going into The Waterman, I called Ava, I called Chris McQuarrie, I called Will Gluck, I called Nate Parker, I called Mel Gibson, I called Joel Edgerton, you know, I called people who I knew who had done it at a high, high level. I called actors who had been in films that they also directed and they all had different bits of advice. But, you know, the common one was hire people, who are far more experienced than you at what they do, be very clear about your vision and then let them do their thing. Let them make you look good. Um, and, uh, and that was the best piece of advice I got really is to is empower people and then let them fly. Mm. And so what are you walking away from having had this experience? Like how, how has making this film, and I'm sure there's going to be many more to come, but how did this, how did this film shape you in some way as a creative? Well, it reaffirmed to me how important perspective is. You know, I am a black man who was born in the UK of Nigerian descent, who lived in Nigeria for seven years, who has now lived in America for 14 years, who has four kids, has been married for 22 years and is deeply in love with his wife. And all of those aspects of my life are in this film. You know, um, Rick Hassani, who's a Nigerian artist, has two tracks on the film. I identify with Ghana from when I was a kid. I also was mommy's boy. But I also identify with Amos as a father. You know, um, the production design is filled with little... Afrocentric touches, uh, you know, as is some of the costume. Even even though the the score is is more classical in its framework, it has African instruments in there that evoke a different kind of emotion than if they were just Western European instruments. You know, it has a black family at the center of it by virtue of the fact that I am black. That's my family and. You know, it all flows from there. Initially in the script, Joe, as played by Amaya Miller, was Joseph, who was actually a boy in the original script. Um, but, you know, I have three sons and a daughter, and I have a very adventurous daughter. And I just suddenly thought, I want my daughter to watch this film and feel like she's in this movie as well. And so I changed that character from Joseph to Joe and, and made it a girl. There are so many things in this film that are what I believe in, what I want to see in the world, whether it's representation, whether it's my culture, whether it's the films I loved as a kid that I never saw myself represented in. And I now get to have a little drop in the ocean of that, th those kind of movies in terms of The Waterman. So, you know, and I think that that's what filmmakers should and do do is bring themselves, all of themselves to the project and, and, and speak from that truth. Oh, I love that. And, you know, at this point in your career, when you think back to all that you've done and, you know, all that you will do, how have you come to define creativity? What does that mean to you? Creativity is to feel the fear and do it anyway. I think true creativity has to be in the atmosphere of risk and fear and danger. Moving any art form forward tends to be because you're taking a big swing and that's where you create something. You know, to 
purely imitate something is to be safe. Uh, to truly create something is to take a risk. Um, and so I tend to gravitate, going back to what we were talking about earlier about my career and the choices I've made, I tend to gravitate towards roles and projects that are terrifying to me. They may not be terrifying to other people, but, you know, directing the Waterman was terrifying. I mean, you know, this is this is millions of dollars. This is a this is a story that I knew people would be like, ah, but you do those important movies. You do those historical movies. You do, you know, why have you gone off and done this, this family adventure movie? But it's because I so adore those films. I loved those films growing up. And I just, the idea, I mean, the greatest compliment or one of the greatest compliments people pay me with regards to The Waterman is when they even say the word Spielberg in relation to anything I've done. You know, that was such like, I mean, I'd never heard the phrase Spielbergian before I made this film. <laughs> and, and, and that is just like, oh my goodness. I think I may have even just hemmed the fringes of Spielberg's <laughs> garment with this film, you know. Um, and be made anew. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, so... That, but that's a ter- you know you know you're going into that kind of territory with this kind of film. So the short version of the answer is creativity has to be uh, gained or at least experienced, in my opinion, through the lens of of fear. That just might be my favorite answer. I always ask it at the end of the conversation, and I think that might be one of my favorites. So yeah, you'll you're you're gonna you're gonna get a certificate in the mail. Just like- <laughs> Just, you know, just put I it on your mantle. It. I will frame it. It'll be up there on the wall. <laughs> David, thank you so much for this. This was such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. And congratulations on the film because it is, it's so, it's so well done. So good. So uh, you should be proud. Thank you. I appreciate that. This was so much fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Creative Conversation. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we're recording some of these conversations as videos, this episode included. So head over to Fast Company's YouTube page to check it out. See you soon.